Sometimes, I like to imagine the committee of people who put together the Revised Common Lectionary, the schedule of scripture passages that we cycle through in our readings every Sunday morning. Most of the time, the, combinations of, the combination of readings makes sense. Sometimes you have to be a little more perceptive than others, but usually you can figure out what they're up to. Occasionally, though, the chosen combination of readings is a slightly more perplexing. For me, today is one of those days. At first glance, maybe these passages do seem related. Both the gospel and our reading from Jonah, especially if you think about the whole story of Jonah and not just the, the short excerpt we have here, are both stories about being called and stories that involve fish. That part may be a little too on the nose for me. But what I find so perplexing here is that Jonah's response to being called and that of Simon, Andrew, James, and John could not be more different. Now the short passage we read from the book of Jonah this morning may give the impression that Jonah hears the word of God and immediately acts upon it the way the fishermen do and goes where God sends him. But let's not forget that somewhat disturbing story that leads up to this moment. First, Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh and cry out against the city for its wickedness. But instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah goes in the complete opposite direction and hops on a boat headed to Tarshish instead. So God sends a storm over the sea and all the men begin praying to their own gods. Jonah is asleep below deck and someone comes to wake him up so he can pray to his god too. This doesn't work, so they cast lots to find out who is causing the storm to fall upon them. Of course, the lot is cast on Jonah, because you can't outrun God. Jonah confesses that it's because of him that the storm has come, so they decide to throw him overboard, and he doesn't put up a fight. But as Jonah is sinking down, fighting against the waves and waters, a huge fish swallows him up, and he stays inside the fish for three days. While inside, he prays to God, not a prayer for deliverance, but a prayer of thanksgiving. Jonah thanks God for sparing him from the watery death that he was surely facing. After three days, God spoke to the fish, and the fish spewed Jonah onto dry land. And then, that's when we get to the passage that we read this morning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And this time, Jonah gives in and goes to Nineveh. Here's the real kicker for me, though. Jonah goes to Nineveh. He tells the people that the city will be destroyed, and the people ultimately change, or immediately change their ways in such a dramatic fashion that God changes God's mind and doesn't destroy the city. And Jonah's mad. He feels like a fool for prophesying something that doesn't come true, and he's not at all grateful that the city was spared. This is a far cry from Andrew, Simon, James, and John, who immediately leave their boats and fishing gear and follow Jesus to learn how to fish for people without a second thought, despite the somewhat mysterious invitation. Typically, when I read stories from Scripture, I look for moments of transformation. What was the precise point in the story where everything changed for someone, where someone's heart was moved? We never get that from Jonah. Jonah first tries to run away, and he only ever faces the music when the storm threatens the lives of the others on the boat. Chapter 2, Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving sort of hints at transformation, but that moment is fleeting, really. And he's back to his old begrudging self by the end of the story, 
even going so far as to say he'd rather be dead than seen as a false prophet. And what reason does he give for this? He tells God that he knew that God was forgiving and merciful and wouldn't actually destroy the city, so there was no need to go there in the first place. Yes, he tried to reverse psychology, God. Wowza. I can't think of a worse prophet for God to choose than Jonah. He's a coward. He's arrogant. He's not great at following directions, and he's a little self-absorbed. And yet, Jonah was the one that God chose. And despite basically being the worst prophet ever, Jonah showed up just enough at just the right moments, and the city of Nineveh was spared. Jonah owned up to the others on the boat that he was trying to hide from God and that he was the cause of the storm that had come upon them because there were innocent lives at stake. Jonah responds in gratitude to God sparing his life and does eventually deliver God's message. These are the three moments for me that resonate. Are they proof that Jonah would go on to lead a transformed life and abandon all of his self-centered ways? Not really. We see a few verses later that he's back to his old gripes, sitting in a booth outside the city, watching impatiently to see what will happen to Nineveh. So what's the message here? Or what can we learn from this outrageous story? Which, as an aside, let me just say that I'm deeply disturbed that this is one of the classic Sunday school stories that we choose to tell young and impressionable children. It's very unsettling. Is the message that all we have to do is give the bare minimum and God will make it work? I don't know. Maybe. I've seen God do more with less. I don't think that's the point, though. I think the point is that God chose Jonah. God knows who Jonah is. God knows that Jonah sometimes can't help himself but get in his own way. God knows that Jonah is plagued by inertia, and a lack of compassion. God knows that Jonah isn't the obvious choice for this task, but God chooses him anyway. And once he's chosen, God stands by the decision. And yes, there were some dramatic moments along the way, like Jonah being tossed overboard in a storm and swallowed up by a big fish. But the truth remains that God saved Jonah from himself. And God never stops working on Jonah, never stops calling Jonah to be a better more compassionate version of himself. Even after all the business is handled and the prophecy has been delivered and Nineveh has been spared, God is still with Jonah, calling him into a more full life. Being called by God is not a marker that we have achieved some level of perfection or even that we're good people. Being called by God is an invitation to a relationship with a God who calls us their own who knows our fears and failures and loves us in spite of them, who chooses us in spite of them. It's an invitation to stop running away and turn towards the places that God needs us to act. It's an invitation on a journey that will include storms and maybe a big fish and moments that will leave us frustrated and perplexed. But it all comes with the promise that God won't give up on us as self-involved and uncaring as we may be at times. As long as we're alive, God is working on us and working in us and through us. I'm reminded of when I was a teenager, the summer after my first year of college when I applied to be a summer camp counselor at the Episcopal camp in the Diocese of Southern Ohio. 
I applied to the job not because I felt called to it, honestly, but rather because when I was growing up, the counselors there were the absolute coolest people that I knew, and I wanted to be cool like them. I didn't really consider the fact that I would be responsible for other people's children. I relied on my somewhat obnoxious, outgoing personality and the fact that I had gone to camp there my whole life, and I knew the people doing the hiring to land the job. I didn't know when I applied what it would take to do that job and all the ways that I was lacking. I was confident that it would be easy. I was a fun person. How hard could it be? To say that first summer humbled me would be an understatement. The grueling nature of the long days and restless hot nights was, in and, was a lot in and of itself. But add to that the emotional maturity it takes to empathetically listen to children and teens open up to you. I wasn't ready for it. And I wasn't particularly good at it. But God had called me to it, whether I recognized that or not. And God did so knowing that I wasn't ready for it, knowing that I wouldn't be great at it. God wasn't under the same delusion that I was, that I could half-heartedly bring myself to this role and sail through it without a care and come out unchanged on the other side. And yet God called me, as arrogant and clueless and self-absorbed as I was, and God never stopped working on me the whole time. God demanded more of me, but she stuck in there with me and didn't abandon me to go find a better counselor. Just like she hangs in there with Jonah, instead of going to look for someone better suited to being a prophet. I worked there for seven summers, each one demanding more, and my time there would ultimately lead me here, to the priesthood. Although there was plenty of kicking and screaming and running away and trying to hide along the way. Despite all of that, I'm no closer to perfection than I was at 19. A little older, sure, and a little wiser, but still carrying the same shortcomings and flaws. But God doesn't want perfect people. God wants us. So for my part, I'm grateful to be reminded of Jonah's story today. Because Lord knows I'm more Jonah than I am Andrew, Simon, James, or John. Lord knows that most days I run in the opposite direction. That I try to hide from God that I can't seem to get out of my own way. But God searches me out and finds me every time and calls me to a better version of myself. Amen.